Podcast. I'm JJ Loy. I'm joined by yours truly, Matt Wixon. First off, is it M- Matthias Mattis Yahoo? What is what is Matt short for? It is short for Matterhorn. Matterhorn. Very very ethnic. Matterhorn Da Vinci Wixon. Matt, it has been a minute. I know. What's up with that? Oh, we're just both busy. That's what's up with that. Yeah. I feel a little bit bad, you know, like we should be we should be giving people more of this goodness and I wish we were. But we also have lives. Sorry everybody. Right. Well, and I guess part of it was uh kind of chalked up to a little bit of a, an existential crisis for the show. And uh that's true too. I don't know how how seriously you were taking it, but I had a major bum out when I when I thought for like a week and a half there that we might have to just quit this thing. The only thing that was giving me a sense of crisis was that you were freaking out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't personally worried about it, but then you were like, oh, this is terrible. This is going to be the end. We should just hang it up right now. And that was what was scaring me. I'm like, I don't think we need to take it seriously. But yeah, it was like something you had said too, though. Like, why why should we bother if if it's just going to get us into trouble? And, True, and I and I was kind of like he, he's he's right. <laughs> so I think I think maybe we created our own little echo chamber there of of anxiety. Yeah, I I was making you more anxious and then making myself more anxious, and that's how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess long story short, we're we're worried that we might not totally be uh, within the boundaries of what the United States wants us to do with people's recorded music. I mean, that's one way you could say it. You could also say that we're in, in flagrant violation of... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today um, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, early reggae as a topic, and so I have uh, a couple of reggae questions for you, Matt. Okay. So as a reggae listener, do you... Do you um, you smoke weed? I don't. Uh, I mean, I have, um, but I, I don't really, because uh, I, I, on the occasions that I do, uh, I always feel really stupid, and I don't like feeling stupid. Would I use dope? Nope. So, as somebody that does not smoke weed, do you enjoy dub reggae? <laughs> I love dub reggae. Okay. Now that's interesting. That's that's some outlier uh, data I'm seeing here. Well, yes, I know that that's <laughs> that's an unusual characteristic. <laughs> All right, so you don't mind uh, spacey, trippy, uh, heady shit, even though you're not getting heady yourself. No, not at all. Very cool. Very cool. To me, dub is this is this very is this very singular. I can't imagine like listening to dub with a crowd so much. To me, dub is like, okay, so we're gonna give your brain just the bare minimum of what it needs to to feel this, to feel this song. And but we're gonna we're gonna cut out so much that your brain 
fills in these gaps and it makes you like this weird participant and like dub is just this like i don't know it sucks me in so fucking hard i really look forward to the day when cars drive themselves and i can just like drive around with a bong and dub music (laughs) (laughs) just watch the world go by while dub is happening (laughs) i I feel like we're getting way we're getting too far off of the topic here Absolutely. And I think I, what, what appeals to me about dub can, can transcend reggae, too. Like, something that I really appreciate about the modern music going on right now is very dub-influenced tops to bots. From pop to experimental, dub dub is yeah. a filter. Dub is a set of tools to play with. It is, it is beyond reggae at this point, for real. Oh yeah, it's it's def. I mean, it's been decades now, but it's I think more prevalent now than ever. Uh, it like you can trace the the process of dub into the entire like genre of EDM. Like right. all of it is yeah. comes from dub. <laughs> uh, with with other stuff like there's house and there's techno and all of that, but like. Like dubstep obviously has dub in its name, but it came from jungle, which came from dub. That's it, weird because dubstep's like the worst of what's influenced. Uh, there is some good dubstep. I'll turn okay. you on to it. Uh, but like jungle for real. Like I started fucking with jungle for a while there because like it was hitting all of the bases that I needed out of Jamaican music. It had that two four beat. Yeah. It had it had the dubby echoes, and it certainly had the speed of ska. Like. I don't know. It, yeah. it felt very like this is a natural progression of what I've been listening to, you know. I 100% relate to that. That's like I cuz I I very much enjoy listening to Jungle and it feels the same to me as listening to like The Selector or something like hype ska music. I was just thinking like what a coincidence and then I'm like no cuz you were doing that fucking ska dance music shit that got me into you in the first place. So like, look, it, like it's not a coincidence <laughs> at all. But yeah, to go back to dub, like you can hear dub in Madonna songs of the past like three decades, or like, uh, I mean, like so many things on the radio now. Like Selena Gomez has dub shit in her music. It's weird how much dub there is in the mainstream now. After uh, Tubby and Scratch. Well, and the threshold for dub is very is very low. Like all you gotta do is throw a little reverb and drop a little vocal and you're in. Like it's like, dude, you're dub. Well, true. <laughs> That's true. I mean it does yeah, it doesn't cost you much to dabble in it. <laughs> like it doesn't like it's very easy to accept because it doesn't take much to do to it. Right. Like to be sky you have to like buy a pair of shoes or something. I don't know, but like <sighs> who's got money for shoes these days? Gotta have that shoe money. In this economy. <laughs> say i i think it might have been the last time i smoked weed was a few years ago uh while i was about to watch we scratch perry live so you prepared properly well it it sort of it sort of scared the shit out of me (laughs) it was already like that that like the show sober would have made me feel on another planet because it's such a surreal experience and the fact that i was i was high just made it like a whole thing like there was parts where like 
I, I couldn't tell who if like the whole room was chanting or if it was a pre-recorded chanting. <laughs> it was a weird. It was like a weird. Like I, I felt like I was in some kind of like elevated like cult thing, and it was a little bit too much to have that music uh, while I was under the influence. It's a, it's got synergistic properties. Yeah. Yeah. Spun you up. Sure did. Uh, yeah, I got a similar story, but with uh, the first X-Men movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very very similar indeed. Yeah. Well, uh, younger days. <laughs> uh, also, questions regarding reggae. Uh, I guess I guess everybody knows, like, you know, reggae in America with white kids has a bit of a problem with cultural appropriation at times. Yeah. Like a Ross Trent kind of um Yes. I I, I kind of I I don't wanna go too heavily into agreeing with that because I think that like white people can appreciate reggae in a way that's not inappropriate. Oh absolutely. I just wanted to kind of that that's a preamble to me asking. Okay. And I think I think guys like you and me are probably pretty conscious of that and are probably trying to sidestep a lot of Yes. But so what I'm trying to get at is are there any things that you have kind of absorbed from reggae culture from Rasta dudes that I don't know you may worry is problematic that you um, are are I don't know do you got you got anything you got any isms uh well I mean like I've played reggae music that's <laughs> on its face like some might say that's a little bit suspect oh shit I never thought about that like <laughs> you think that in and of itself can be problematic I I don't well I don't think by itself, no, but uh, to some people, like, I, I think some people might say yes. I don't think so. I'm not worried about the fact that, that just because I have played reggae music that that's problematic. I never, ever thought that somebody might be pissed at me for playing reggae music. That's crazy. Okay. But, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, there there have been times uh, in the past where I've, done like real shitty like patois and songs uh just because like i was a king Django fan and i'm like he can do it i'll try it and like it was a mistake uh <laughs> but so like so i'm very much aware of that i, I i'm a, i steer clear of that now which i think is the correct thing to do but apparently sometimes like somebody has re- accused me recently of like a song i did a couple of years ago Thing that like I sound like I'm trying to be Jamaican and I'm like I'm just singing reggae like I don't I'm not singing like anybody but myself right so there is you got you so there's probably some like bleed through on a subconscious level but nothing nothing you're too aware I of. <laughs> I, I love like all the clots I love Bamba clot and blood clot and Roz clot uh, and sometimes that just like that escapes my mouth when I'm driving or something, just because I love, I love yelling Rosclot at a driver that cuts me off or something. Look at this schmohawk over here. <laughs> okay, see that's the kind of answer I was fishing for, man. <laughs> I want you in a Toyota Tercel yelling Rosclot at an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of it, like, I watched Rockers a couple of times, you know? I, I don't know if you've seen the movie. Right. I assume you probably have. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And, like, you, there's 
it wears off on you. The stuff like the stuff that you watch, the stuff you consume, the stuff you listen to, it wears yeah. off on a person. And I think that it's kind of natural for that kind of thing to at least influence some phrases you say like I didn't I say y'all all the time because I hung out with a bunch of people from the south a lot uh, like right. and it's it doesn't even like phase me to think of like yeah people don't usually say y'all but like I say it all the time and it's because of people from the south that I hang out with hung out with All right, so you got any reggae uh, curiosities about about the kid over here? Uh, is the, are you the kid? Yeah, I'm the kid. You don't know that? I'm the kid. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Do you have any, like, insecurities? Oh, God. About how reggae... Not in general. I don't care about your whole thing. Uh, save that for your therapist. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the... No, I mean, in regards to reggae, like, for sure, like... Um, okay. I, when I pitched this show to you, my my idea was because I, I I really like this Star Trek podcast. It's two guys that are embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. Okay. I wanted it. I wanted to to be you know two guys that are embarrassed to have a reggae show. I'm I'm supremely embarrassed at times. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie Ghost World? Uh, no. Um, it's kind of a I don't know. Two, two teenage girls just looking at how stupid the world is, and so the world all around them is, is very stupid in the movie. And wow. um, and <laughs> there's there's this one scene where just this like real broy white guy just says to his friends, you "Guys up for some reggae tonight?" <laughs> and to me, that has always been like the guiding light of like what to avoid. <laughs> oh yeah, that, what. A- now I want to watch this movie just for that line in context. I, I want to see it with the whole... A lot of people do not like that movie. I stand by it so wholeheartedly. It is real fantastic. All right, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about early reggae today. Yeah. So when you say early reggae, what are what are you? What does that combination of words mean to you? Uh, yeah, we kind of touched on this a little bit before, but yeah, I feel like there is is a time uh, from the, of course, the invention of reggae, you know, the the outset of rocksteady to I don't know a kind of point where like culture and Bob Marley and like all the roots just like suddenly comes up and it's and it suddenly becomes more like of a of an official Rasta music. Um, I think yeah. I think that period in the in-between there is what counts. So we're talking like 68 to like 72, 73, somewhere That's in there? That's what I'm feeling, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's music that like, again, if we go back to the, the bros from California playing in reggae music and reggae bands, the fans of those bands, of Slightly Stupid or what have you, are probably not even going to recognize early reggae as reggae. It'll sound more like ska to them, or even something like soul or funk or something else other than reggae. Well, and even adding to the confusion, like a couple of my early uh, quote-unquote ska comps, like stuff that I wanted to like buy to help introduce me to Jamaican ska, actually had like quite a bit of Rocksteady and quite a bit of early reggae on it. Like it gets kind of lumped in. Like when you, like yeah. you'll hear Israelites 
talked about or or put on a, a ton of ska comps. But, and it's definitely not a ska song. And it's it's kind of not a reggae song, but like it is, it is of that early reggae genre. Like it is when reggae is kind of a little amorphous too. Like there's a lot of right. a lot of wiggle room there, you know. It's an experimental time, and that's yeah, that's kind of why I I love it so much, you know. Right. So like coming out of Rocksteady, which was a really, I mean, steady kind of beat. Like it. It was very segmented with the offbeats and the onbeats, and the bass part was pretty steady as well. Like it wasn't going too crazy. It it might have had like a melody or whatever, but it wasn't. It wasn't like ex, it wasn't a lead instrument really. It was still like everything was the rhythm section. And when reggae started to emerge, you get like kind of like a an unbalanced sort of like strumming stroke instead of just like a steady chop on the offbeats. I know I'm getting kind of okay. <laughs> kind of like technical without being technical. Funky. Funky, yes. Uh, the 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 bass goes a little bit wild. Uh, the drums start sounding like like the meters out of New Orleans. Or even like some James Brown kind of shit going on. Yeah, I mean, if I may, if I may, just flip this chalkboard around for just a quick second. Okay. <laughs> no, I've always seen Jamaican music as kind of a weird shadow or like distorted reflection of American music, and in that same way that like rock and roll kind of came out of jump blues and, and New Orleans boogie woogie, like ska kind of kind of came out of that too. And then Rocksteady is very much like that early kind of smooth soul, and then. And then reggae, early reggae, is is definitely like a reflection of, of funk and that kind yeah. of like garagey soul. And you know? yeah, and it also like that's when the organs start really coming into play because you don't hear a lot of organs in Rocksteady and hardly any in ska. You're right, like nobody was really there wasn't a pattern anymore. Like Rocksteady kind of had a pattern, and in the early years of what was called reggae, there's a lot of different stuff going on in there. Um, there was a high turnover of recording and getting a record out, uh, both in Jamaica and the UK. And we're going to dip into that, I guess, a little if we're going to talk about skinhead reggae. Sure. So early reggae is really where you start seeing, all right, let's take that rhythm track. Let's take the bass and the drum and the hook and then do a whole new song over it. Version of it. Right. Let's do something goofy over. All right. We did the serious track. We did the vocal track. We did the sax track. Now let's do something goofy over it and cut that out real quick, too. Right. And so it's a little technology-driven, if you think about it. Yeah. Like, the availability, like, everybody's starting to get their own studios in the reggae era. Like, so you got Coxon and you got Duke Reed, and they got to record at Federal Studios, right? That's the one? Uh, The only only real recording studio at the time? I believe so. And then finally, Coxon gets his own studio. So now you've got other other producers now renting from Coxon to record their stuff. So it's like this, just like as technology becomes available, like you get, you get kind of a distributed wealth kind of thing, you know. And so if you got your own studio, you're gonna experiment. You're gonna goof off, and you're gonna have some fun, and you're gonna play with the rhythms. And um, so you got dub and and silly songs and spaghetti westerns and <laughs> yeah, kung fu. Yeah, I I mean Lee Perry starts coming into his own as a producer in this era as he starts to do uh, 
I mean, some of the early reggae, some of the earliest reggae albums with his studio band, The Upsetters, they ended up having big hits in the UK, doing tours there. And like, some of the shit he was doing in the studio, even before the Black Ark and the the dawn of him losing his mind with dub music and all of the other stuff. Yeah, before it gets really dubby, it's still pretty out there. And he's, yeah, he's already doing weird shit. <laughs> and the fact that, like, he ends up doing the weirdest shit shouldn't really surprise anybody. And that was only a couple years later. Like, he was already starting to get weird, and then he ends up doing stuff that basically becomes what we know as dub. And I like to think of the upsetters as, as I think you said the meters earlier, right? I think of them as, like, the Jamaican meters. Yeah. Minimalist, but not lazy, not thin. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <sighs> There's something so amazing about the musicians he had for his records. Because uh, they are so incredibly tight. And they just get into, they get locked into these grooves. And like, I can listen to an inst- like an organ solo upset her song for like an hour straight. I wouldn't mind. Well, I I was going to actually, like the question I was going to ask is like the different words for this subgenre of reggae. Because like I've also heard tighten up reggae. As like a genre. Oh, interesting! I haven't heard that. Yeah. And and lately, like in the past couple of years, I've heard people say boss reggae, but I feel like that's that's totally new, and that like you can't just keep making up new names for something. I feel like whoever owns Trojan right now is really pushing for that. Probably. I think what they want is to. Okay, so I definitely think there is a distinction between what is considered early reggae and what is considered skinhead reggae. And I don't think it's going to be too controversial, honestly, if you really break it down. Okay. So so you've got you've got stuff being recorded in Jamaica that is being exported via Trojan Records to the UK. Right. And the idea was to sell these records to the Jamaican expats that are living up there and immigrants that are living up there. Right. But the white kids get in on it. And you know they start doing the skinhead thing. I, if, if you know, I'm sure everybody listening knows that whole that whole rigmarole. I'm not trying to do any of that shit. You know, look up skinheads if you want. Yeah, yeah. But I think what what you start seeing though is this: um, the Jamaicans realize that the white kids are in on it. Yeah. And they're not dumb. They're gonna sell records to these kids, so they start picking up on the keywords that these kids are using: skinhead and whatnot. And, and they're uh, singing about boots and, and the moon for some reason. And absolutely, yeah. yeah, they're here. They're hearing what these kids are into. The kind of dance they're, they're hearing about stomping and all the, all this fetishistic shit. Yeah. And so, and like I was saying earlier, there's this high turnover because you can just cut a record real fast right. and get it out there. And so, what you've got now is Jamaican dudes in England cutting tunes for skinhead marketing. Well, I mean, like. That's basically what Simmer, Simmerup was doing that. Simmerup did that? All right, so you got Desmond Riley with Skinhead, A Message to You. You got Hot Rod All-Stars, who I just fucking love. Hot Rod All-Stars. Get into them, everybody. <laughs> they did Skinhead Speaks His Mind. The Charmers cut Skinhead Train. Joe the Boss did Skinhead Revolt. Claudette and the Corporation, Skinheads abash them. So these are... 
these are Jamaicans. These are black folks just pandering to their newfound audience. And so I think if you want to make a distinction, you definitely can. I would say the stuff cut in the UK for a white audience is absolutely skinhead reggae, no matter how you slice it. I don't think that that can be an umbrella term for the whole era. Okay. I'm I'm a little bit surprised that you have such a... (laughs) A nitpicky. <laughs> <laughs> You're surprised. Split like that's usually my my gig, and uh, but I love it and I I support it a hundred percent. I never would have thought to parse those because usually because I feel like people often just use them interchangeably. But I totally agree that you can totally make the case that the stuff that panders to a white British audience is of a different subgenre than the stuff made at the same time in Jamaica, more for a Jamaican audience, like a sound system audience, than for like a, a Northern Soul. So it's interesting that that was kind of, um, cause everybody, you know, they, they want to say what it is and they, if they're thinking skinhead reggae and there's nothing wrong with the skinheads that were listening to skinhead reggae, they want to say it, but then it always comes with the inevitable, explanation and so I think that's where like when you start hearing stuff like uh, Trojan reggae and then you got the agrolytes I think very classily if that's a word sidestepping the issue by by inventing dirty reggae I think that was just a really deft move on their part by saying hey look we're looking at this era but there's nothing about what we're doing that could be misconstrued as as problematic in the least <laughs> you know <laughs> they're wearing jumpsuits and they're being on kids shows and yeah they're not being skinheads in your face you know I might post this up on the page. There, um, there is some website called Shitfy. Are you familiar with them? No. I guess I guess they kind of focus on just kind of kind of bad music. <laughs> the kind of like I don't know outsider art that is bad music sometimes. <laughs> right. And so they did a sure. list of like just barely good skinhead reggae tunes. <laughs> and that's what I was looking at there when I was listing off a bunch of those. And I, 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 I encourage everybody to check this out. It's still up online. and uh, It sounds wonderful. Has, has just a wealth of information about how some, some of the stuff was recorded, how, how some of the rhythms were, were reused. Yeah. I'm, um, I would find that very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'll post it up there. So you've got the... Um, early reggae and now you've got the the revival since since the early 2000s how much how much lip service do we need to pay to the to the revival in this episode um i think that we already kind of agreed that we'll touch on that on a future episode oh okay i i guess maybe we didn't agree maybe i just agreed and (laughs) i can't remember what we've talked about (laughs) who knows I've agreed to a lot of stuff with you, man. Uh, I've apologized for that one thing, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't... I mean, we can... I think we should just save it. Let's just give uh, the early, you know, late 60s, early 70s reggae its, its day without bringing everything after it into its legacy. 
Listener Feedback is a segment where you, the listener, get the chance to speak your mind, offer corrections, and otherwise join the conversation. If you want to submit feedback to the show, reach out to the HornPod page on Facebook, comment in the HornPub Facebook group, or go to anchor.fm slash hornpod and click on the voice message link. We recently heard from you about your top picks of the decade. Nope, that's from the other show. No, no, no. That Our last show was about that, and then we heard from them in response. Oh, that's right. Yes. We recently heard from you about your top picks of the decade. Listener Brad B. suggested the pomps, top of the pomps, and Crazy Bald Head's boots and braces. What do you think about those records? I mean, we talked a little bit about, about the pomps and how they're kind of being this kind of new, new school yeah. kind of sound. I didn't pick any of their albums, but like I feel like, because they've only done EPs so far, right? Mm. Am I making that up? I guess I, I I really have only been kind of catching them one song at a time and not really like full releases. I guess that's Fair kind enough. of a a sign of of the times we live in. Apparently, and then like yeah, uh, I know that I included Uziman, but I don't know if Crazy Baldhead records really count as ska, other than like. Most of the slackers play on them, <laughs> um, but I but I do really like all the stuff Jay's been putting out. Agent J from the Slackers, aka Crazy Baldhead. Absolutely. Oh yeah, his records are fantastic. I feel like there's some ska on on Boots and Braces. There is. Yeah. There's like a there's a couple on on the last few records I think, but eh, I, I I'm nitpicking now. Go listen to the Pumps. <laughs> we got a dude named uh, Kevin. Casino, I think. Yeah, sure. Uh, from the wind, windy city sound system. Uh, big up Chicago, right between me and Matt, right there in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, let's see, he he wanted to mention the meow meows and the prize fighters, and also uh, him mentioning that. Oh, I guess I guess those were on his list uh, as a as a Scott DJ, and so that prompted me to check out his show, Windy City. And uh, I saw them over there on Mixcloud. You can find their episodes if if you're like hungry for 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 kind of Scott shows while while we're kind of taking our time. Uh, you can do a lot worse than Windy City. You can do a lot worse than checking out KDHX.org and uh, checking out my old show under new host uh, Sky's the Limit. Is doing some really cool stuff. They had Dan Potast on the other day. They got they're doing interviews all the time now. And, uh, nice. yeah, they're killing it over there. So you're saying ever since you left, they got their shit together. Well, honestly, I think, I th- <laughs> honestly, I think what they're doing is really perfect for a weeknight show. And I always felt really pressured. Oh, by it's, having, in a, it's in a different slot than what you I had. had a, yeah, they have a different time slot. I had a Saturday night okay. prime time slot. And I felt really pressured to oh, yeah. keep it musical and not do interviews and not talk too much. Because if people are flipping around, I want to catch them. I don't want to turn them off, you know. Um, right. You're you're the soundtrack on a Saturday night. You're the soundtrack to somebody's. But hangout. they're in a spot where they can really curate some listeners and really dig a nice. little deeper than than I really felt I had the freedom to do. So I think I and and according to them, they prefer this spot. And so I, I say more power to them. Like I think they're doing it absolutely right. Um, yeah, and on the uh, listener feedback tip, I am so dying to get some voicemail, voice memos over here. Hell yeah. 
I really thought that it would be like this thing that people would be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna just like fucking hit that and let my voice be heard. It's so easy. I'm gonna get in on this show. We have that, and we didn't expect to have that little voicemail box, but we have it, and we really want somebody to leave something. Doesn't just, I mean, right now, there are people that are in bands that, that could be speaking up, letting their opinion be heard. All you gotta do is go over there to anchor.fm slash hornpod and smash that button and just start talking. Smash it. If you start talking, I'll probably put it right on the show. Don't don't say Baba Booey. Oh, uh, I want my voice to go out to the whole ska world because I like ska and I think it'd be cool for everybody to hear me. Like, just go ahead and do it. Yeah, pitch a new segment. Yeah, you want to get on this show like proper? Like, pitch pitch a little segment for us. Get on that voice memo. You might you might get on the show. I'm hungry for content over here. <laughs> Smash it. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? If you're in a band and you want to listen to, and you're also a fan of the show, you can, you know, click that little voice memo button and say, hey, this is Chris Malone from The Pandemics, and I think that your opinion about the skints or something was way off and I'm not saying Chris doesn't like the skints but as an example you know what Colin use your name promote your band let your opinion be heard and promote yourself uh, subtly in a tasteful way anybody can do it right make it like a station ID but with complaining yes or you can or or you could say uh hey this is Cooley Ranks from Pilfers and I love your show and you're my favorite people. You can say that if you if you want. Any anything's on the table. I would love it if Cooley Rank said uh, that. I mean, he might one day. Who knows? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> you know what? I don't know Cooley that well, but I I have a feeling that we are his favorite people. <laughs> the Scott Cannon is a segment where we two Scott aficionados, him and me. Decide which albums will be accepted by all future Ska scholars, him and me, as key to shaping the ongoing definition of Ska. Tonight, on the Ska Cannon. We are going to be looking at a Trojan compilation of various artists called Tighten Up Volumes 1 and 2. So uh, we're not afraid to put compilations into the Scott can, no. right? Like, this is not an issue. No, I think this is, uh, like, these tighten-ups will be the first, like, actual, like, various artist compilations we've done, right? Uh, the Prince Buster was a greatest hits, but yeah, I think... Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, guess, I mean, uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, of various so artists, we'll yeah. We'll probably do some more greatest hits, just because some of those are, like, the defining things from people's careers. Uh, but yeah, we've got a very we, we've got some various artists compilations going on here now. How about that? Yeah, I feel like the the compilation as a thing is is very the the compilation is how we've disseminated uh, Scott, you know. Oh, for sure, because people people find out they like something, but they don't know how to. F- I mean, especially like before the internet. Uh, you find out you're into a certain thing, but you don't know how to find more of it. Here's a compilation that shows you how to find more of it. So in that in that same vein, this Tighten Up record uh, was a way for Trojan to kind of show 
uh, kind of a slice of what this early reggae sound was for UK audiences. These are these are Jamaican hits, packaged up. We see them a lot as Volume One and Two now, but they were separate records in '69 when they were both released. And I think there were like five or six altogether. Yeah, maybe more even. But the first two are just jam packed with like the essentials. I would say. Um, I wonder if two sold better because of boobies. <laughs> um, that's very possible. It's a. <laughs> I want to see the numbers on this. <laughs> For those of you who aren't familiar, Jay just talking about the cover art, uh, not just not just human breasts in general. Right. Yes. Boobs uh, <laughs> <laughs> on volume two. It's possible. It's got a very. Uh, Skinful cover. <laughs> sure. How, how about that? So Tighten Up was never my my compilation of Jamaican music. So some of these are some blind spots for me. Some of them appear on okay. a million compilations that I've got. Oh yeah, so, some of these are are downright standards. I mean, they're not they're not all the best of the best, but a lot of the best are on these comps. And I suppose we should make mention that although these are volumes 1 and 2 and while sometimes they are packaged together as volumes 1 and 2, sometimes there are expanded versions of at least one maybe two i mean yeah okay so i mean they're called tighten up and there's a song tighten up by the untouchables and it's hella good i mean it's 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 almost like we talked about like i mentioned like tighten up reggae as like a genre and it kind of comes from these comps i believe and it comes from this song which i think is such a great example of what early reggae sounds like. If someone wanted to know what is, what do you mean by early reggae? Like the song "Tighten Up" is a really great example. All right, yeah. It's it's it, it's kind of jangly. It's like it's upbeat but still reggae. Um, it's got like that great bubbly organ part. It's just so I don't know. It's it's a great song to name a compilation after, let alone a series of compilations. Yeah, it's kind of like the jumping off point for him. Yeah. Yeah. I liked hearing Donkey Returns because I've been a big fan of Ride Your Donkey. I didn't know it had a sequel to it. I love that kind of shit. Oh. <laughs> um, you gotta love a good sequel. Oh, dude. Uh, Harry Chapin, who my who my dad listened to a lot growing up, straight up wrote a sequel song to one of his songs and called it Sequel. Mm-hmm. So like from an early age, I was just like, oh, this is like a thing you can do. And then like, yeah, and then we all twisted again like it was last summer. Right. <laughs> I saw, look, I saw Tommy Two-Tone once. You know, they, they had the 8675309 song. Okay, okay. And... I, I didn't intend to see them. They were, they for some reason they were on tour opening for Less Than Jake, <laughs> which is just bizarre. <laughs> but they they opened their set with that song, with the 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 only one anybody's ever heard by them. Right, and you better end with it too. 
they they did play it at the end as well. They played it twice yep, in the yep. set, obviously. But in the middle, they had a song called Jenny's Calling, which was almost the exact same song, but like sung as a response to their original song. Oh my god. <laughs> which is insane. Like, why would you do that? For the money. <laughs> so if you're not going to listen to Tighten Up Volumes 1 and 2, go listen to Jenny's Calling by Tommy Tutu, and I think that was the name of the song. The the guy with the show before mine on KDHX uh, would play the sequel to Hit the Road Jack, and it was called Come Back Jack. Oh. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she she forgives him. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> All right, so back to the record today. <laughs> anyway. What I like about this is that, yeah, it is real indicative of, of what we think of when we think of early reggae, but it's also kind of, it's kind of not in some places, too. You've got uh, Val Bennett's Spanish Harlem, which is kind of a little bit different. Uh, you got Byron yeah. Lee and the Dragonairs doing Soul Limbo, and that, that is almost not a reggae tune. Yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit outside, but it still has like like I wouldn't say that the compilation as a whole is this is what early reggae is, but I think right. it kinda shows off all of the different things that were going on around that same time in in the world around what was now called reggae. Well you know what's interesting now that I'm really looking at the breakdown of the track list. Um, volume one does not seem to be anything skinhead reggae. And volume two has got a few things that I would definitely call skinhead. Well, not, you know, the stuff that skinheads were listening to. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Ah, is that because of boobs? <laughs> I'm really trying to make the boobs thesis happen. Uh, it's because it's, there's so much skin. So I'm looking at the track list of the two combined. Does Volume 2 start with uh, the Pioneers? Yeah, yeah. Long Shot Kick the Buck. Okay, yeah. Return of Django is definitely like a skinhead tune. Moonlight Lover. Right, Fatty Fatty is. John Jones kind of is. Uh Uh-huh. Live Injection for sure. Yeah, a lot of these, like, I mean, I know that this was for for the English market, uh, like these compilations. But Volume 2 especially, huge influence on the two-tone scene, for sure. Yeah, it definitely feels like this was, these are the songs that influenced two-tone. Uh, and I, we, may, we may have talked about this already, about how I believe that early reggae is a bigger influence on, skin, on uh, two-tone than yeah. actual Jamaican style is. Uh, but these are like the songs. Right. That's one of my favorite features of all of this, is like, I feel like, Mento becomes a bigger influence on reggae, but you can't get to reggae without Sky Rock Steady first, you know? Right. And then the the British people had to listen to the Sky and reggae, but when they came around and start making their own, then it's then it's kind of it's like reggae and punk, not so much actual ska. Right. It's got to skip generations as DNA, you know. So, so, so what do we, you want to make a judgment on this? I mean, I already know how I'm voting. Like, I already know that this is going to be canon, in my opinion. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel about it? I mean, part of me would like to nitpick and say that there are probably better comps that are more heavy hitter. 
but um, you could sure do a lot worse too. Like, like these are good tunes, you know. Like, um, do you when you say there are comps that are more heavy hitter? Do you mean like as examples of this kind of music of like early reggae? Because I know we don't have to the canon doesn't have to be married to the topic that we were discussing. Um, but in this case, it kind of is. Sure. Um, do you think that there were other comps that are better examples or better, uh, I don't know, presentations of early reggae? I than should this? have probably come correct if I was going to say that, but um, <laughs> I really like the Dynamite series, but I wouldn't call that an early reggae comp. In fact, I, I think that that really covers the, the breadth of Jamaican music in a lot of ways. Sure. I guess what really has made me say that is I'm not sure if I was trying to turn somebody on to early reggae if I would play them, say, Angel of the Morning by Joya Landis. Okay. Or, um, I don't want to keep singling out Joya Landis, but yeah, Kansas City doesn't quite do it for me either. I disagree because I absolutely love that track. Oh, do you? Okay, yes. okay. Um, maybe I've heard Kansas City too often in my life that I, well, I have maybe other that's feelings it. about. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I just I just really do love that. <laughs> Not gonna lie. All right. Kansas City, here I come. But yeah, I mean. Volume one may not have the the quote unquote hits that that I want it to. They're they're also really great tunes. Like it was a really fun record to re listen to. Yeah. Um. And like I said, there's there's some little gems in there that aren't quite what you're expecting from this record. Sure. Um. And I'm certainly not going to absolutely fight. I'm just I'm just talking so that we can talk. <laughs> so look, do you wanna do you want to um remove one and just do number two? If you were gonna remove one, two is definitely the, the one to keep for sure. Volume Volume Two, I think, is unfuckwithable. That's a word, right? Okay, no, no. Actually, when you put it in those terms, you're absolutely right. That's that's what I'm seeing right in front of me. Is two is essential and one is not so much. Okay, all right. That's where my nitpick. Yeah, I'll go with you on that. So do you want do you want to settle it and say Volume Two is in the canon and Volume One is uh, better luck next time? Okay, I think I think that's a fair compromise. I don't know. Okay, so let's say it. Let's say it. Tighten up volume two in the canon. Tighten up volume one. No dice. Also in debate this evening is the album Liquidator by Harry J. All Stars. So this record, dude, you want to talk about blind spots? Like, not not that I have a blind spot for Harry J, but I don't think I knew about half of these tunes, and that's my own damn fault. I had this record sitting on my hard drive, and I don't know how much I've ever listened to it. Okay, so tell me what you hear. Tell me what you like. I'm hearing that stuff that I love when I listen to Jackie Mitsu, but I'm actually hearing a bit more pop sensibility to it. Listen to Jackie Mitsu a lot, so... Uh, I feel like I really was really sleeping on some okay. of this. Um, you say a lot of this is not Winston Wright, but... Okay, so the, I know Liquidator is Winston Wright on the keyboard. I think that some of this record is performed by different people. I don't think Harry J. All-Star is... I think it's one of those situations that you see in Jamaica where anybody, any producers, studio musicians are their band like the upsetters could be a totally different group of people from album to album 
And the upsetters in the original records were different than the upsetters like 10 years later. And I think this is kind of the same thing. And I don't have all the information about it, but I don't I don't think I don't think they're the same record, the same band recording all of these songs. Harry J, the producer, was very particular about only putting Harry J All Stars as the credit. So you look yes. at all these liner notes and I can't find shit. Uh, maybe if I had like actual 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 hard documents in front of me, maybe there would be a like a little narrative in there, but Discogs is, is very light. So the the only thing the only thing I can comment on is the actual title track, The Liquidator, which again, absolute essential reggae song. both agree on that oh absolutely yeah and that was recorded by the band that was recording under the name the hippie boys which included uh carlton barrett and aston barrett carly and family man who also ended up being bob marley's uh rhythm section when bob marley got famous oh okay and the hippie boys also became the upsetters and we're recording with Lee Perry, which is how Bob Marley ended up stealing them when he got famous. So it was, yeah, this rhythm section with guitarist uh, Reggie Alvo Lewis and Glenn Adams, who was their normal organist, was not on this recording. Uh, they had Winston Wright instead, who ended up playing the iconic. I mean, this song, if you haven't heard it, is an organ solo. It's instrumental uh, organ, lead organ song uh, performed by Winston Wright. He right. was the organist, not the not Glenn Adams, who was in the Heavy Boys, also recorded with the Slackers much later. Well, and what's fun about Glenn Adams is I like to tell people that he is the first Augustus Pablo. I, yes, I believe that is true. He's, he's the first one to record under that name. Now, somebody else went and uh, was Swabby, went and really became Augustus Pablo, but some of the earliest Augustus Pablo recordings are, are Glenn Adams. Glenn Adams has a whole bunch of big songs as well. Yeah. So uh, along that tip of Harry J just slapping his name on things, that kind of uh, leads into a little bit about the history of the Liquidator song because he just kind of lifted... A rhythm. There's a, a Tony Scott song that'll pop up on some compilations called "What Am I to Do," as well as uh, "All Ellis Girl I've Got a Date." It's not hard to, to to tell that these these songs are absolutely the liquidator, proto liquidators. Yeah. But what a lot of people, if you play liquidator for a lot of people, what they would hear is actually a derivative of is uh, the Staple Singers. Yes. I'll take you there. An immensely famous song compared to the source material. Um, so clearly lifted from that. Yeah. I'll take you there. And and again, to be clear, the Staple Singers 
stole from the liquidator and not the other way around. But the liquidator in itself, I'm saying that it was, was, had elements stolen from, so. Well, yes, yes. I just wanted to, to make sure people understood that there's a very famous uh, American R&B song that rather than having been ripped off by Jamaicans, which wasn't that uncommon, let's be honest, uh, it was actually influenced by uh, a popular Jamaican song. It's such a hook. But the Liquidator is not the best tune on here, I have to say. Like, it's got a lot of hook, but don't let me down. Classic. What do you suppose? Do you think the Interrogator is kind of a sequel to Liquidator? It could be. <laughs> sequel songs, I love them. You want to create some conspiracy <laughs> theories about this album? Uh, I think MST3K did like a Liquidator movie at some point, right? Did they? I feel like there was a spy movie called Liquidator. Oh, it's very possible. There's no way to tell. So, um, Liquidator, yeah, I'm going to say, in addition to having some essentials on there, is also just has got some, like, real kind of, like, B-side treats. Like, it's it's well-rounded, you know? It's a good record. Yeah, no, I agree. I'll put it in the canon. I will, too. You know what? Because I, right. I think these are some real worthwhile songs and another really good example of what was going on with reggae in the late... 60s, early 70s. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's call a canon. Boom. All right. So two records from 1969 go into the canon. We got Tighten Up Volume Two and Harry J. All Stars Liquidator. Both came out on Trojan Records, packaged for a UK audience. So you got the early reggae and you've got the possible skinhead reggae connection right there too. What? A sum up for an episode we have here. I feel like we did good work, Gigi. What do you think? I think so. I think it's pretty cohesive. I think we're doing Jaws work. Lord of mercy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, That's all. (laughs) (laughs) This concludes another episode of Horn Pod. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love it. If you tell your friends, share this episode on social media, rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. And uh, maybe just come back next time for another episode of HornPod. Yeah, do it! Uh, no, I, I really hope somebody listens to our podcast in church. That would be so amazing. Take that, God! God! <laughs>